Well, good morning. Good to be with you. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Just want to say welcome. If you are new or visiting, thanks for coming. Good to have you here at River City this morning. Uh, also just want to say a special welcome to all the college students. Good to have you guys back. Special welcome to you guys. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for college students. I was a college pastor for about seven, seven years or so. And God did some pretty incredible things in my heart as a college student, but he also did some incredible things in the lives of students I got to serve and minister to. And so uh, man, I'm just excited for you guys as you spend another year in college. That's just like a, just this incredibly cool transformative period in our lives. And so um, I just want you to know as a church, we're really excited to have you guys here. We are really grateful for you. We want to we invite you to be a part of the community here at River City. And whether that's maybe that's coming to a small group or serving in some way here on Sunday mornings, or maybe it's just coming over to somebody's house for dinner or throwing a load of laundry in somewhere. Um, Whatever what that looks like for you, we'd love to, to have you. We just want, I just want you to know you're welcome here. Like, uh, we, at River City, we want to just see you guys as like this cool added bonus, and maybe you kind of show up every once in a while. But like, we, wanted, we really are glad you guys are here. We want you guys to be a part of the church and be a part of the community that's here. And so you might see that there are little children running around everywhere around River City, and that means there's lots of parents with little children running around. And as a parent of, a little, of two little children myself, my hands are full sometimes, but I just want you to hear this. That doesn't mean that we're not interested in getting to know you and getting involved in your lives and being in relationships with you. It just means it's like a little extra challenging in that rise. So say hello. If, we, if you see somebody holding the kid, just walk up and say, hi, my name is whoever, college student, awesome person, and say, hey, get to know us. We really would genuinely love to get to know you. So uh, I just want you guys to know you are welcome here, and we are excited to be a part of your lives and get a chance to serve you during your time in college and, and in whatever ways that might look like. So anyways, so this morning uh, we are wrapping up our study in the book of Proverbs, but before we get there this morning, I just wanted to give you a brief heads up or preview of where we're headed this fall. So uh, one, for two reasons, one, because I'm really excited about it, and two, because I'd love your input on it. Um, so this fall, we're going to be preaching through the first uh, chunk of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And Genesis 1 through 11 is some in, has some incredibly rich and foundational truths for us. There's stuff about creation and the fall, about Noah's flood, there's the Tower of Babel. There's, there is so much going on in these couple of chapters that's just incredibly, incredibly rich, incredibly foundational. But uh, those early chapters in Genesis are are some chapters that pretty much everybody has questions about. <laughs> and sometimes they're just these nagging questions that you're just like, I just, this is always something I think about whenever I process that. And so, anyways, in order for me to help serve our church best, I'd love to hear what some of your questions or maybe some of your hang-ups about those passages early on in the book of Genesis might be. And so you can email me. My email is just brandon at rivercitydbq.org, or you can find me on Facebook by my name, right? Shoot me a message. You can send a carrier pigeon if that's your mode of transportation, right? Just like whatever you want to do. If, if there's a question that you have about what's going on in those, other, those first couple of chapters of Genesis, I'd love to hear about it. And uh, my promise to you is not that I will answer your question because uh, I, I don't know all the answers, right? But what I want to do is to have some of that in mind as I think through, as I preach, and as I prepare so I can have that stuff in mind as, to see best how to serve our church. So if you have questions about that stuff, there's something you've been wondering, shoot me an email, send me a Facebook message. I'd love to, I'd love to have that on my mind as I continue to prepare. So we'll be in Genesis throughout the, throughout the fall. 
Um, and then um, right before Christmas, we're going to start the, the Gospel of Matthew. And that really ties in with Advent season really well. And so we're going to begin in Matthew right before Christmas. And then we're going to spend pretty much all of next year uh, studying the book of Matthew, just going through chunk by chunk, taking a look at who Jesus is and what he's done. Matthew's all about the king and the coming of his kingdom. And so there's just some incredibly good stuff in there. So anyways, I'm looking forward to that. That's where we're headed coming up this fall and then uh, going into next year. That's where we're going. But like I said, this morning we're wrapping up our study in the book of Proverbs. This summer we've been, uh, spent the whole summer, we started back in May, taking a look at the book of Proverbs together and one of the things I found is that Proverbs is, is one of these books where you've either spent a lot of time in it or you've never touched it because it just seems wildly confusing. Like your, your life verses are in Proverbs or you have no idea what verses are in Proverbs, right? And, uh, and uh, whatever, whatever spot you come from, I think Proverbs is really one of the, it's really easy to misunderstand what's going on in the book of Proverbs. But what we saw all the way back in Proverbs chapter 1 is that the goal of Proverbs, the, the point of the book, the reason that it exists, is that Proverbs is there to help us grow in wisdom. Proverbs is there to help us become wise people. We saw that Proverbs defines wisdom a little bit differently than we might think. You see, Proverbs defines wisdom not as knowledge about stuff, but Proverbs defines wisdom as skill in godly living. Because wisdom isn't about what you know. You see, wisdom is about who you know. Wisdom is all about knowing God. And so what it means to be wise, then, according to the book of Proverbs, is to increasingly reflect the image and the character of God in our lives more and more and more. So somebody who is wise is not someone who just knows a lot, but someone who is wise is one who, who reflects God's image and character and how they act and how they think and the ways that they live. And the wiser you are, the more and more you reflect those things because wisdom is about knowing God and imitating him. Proverbs has taught us a lot this summer about what it means to be wise, what it looks like for us to reflect God's image and his character. We saw whether that was how we relate to our kids as parents or how we choose friends or how we think about our work and, and what we do there. Proverbs showed us wisdom about what it looks like to deal with emotions like um, anger or pride. We saw Proverbs gives us wisdom about the power of our words and the power of how we use and see money as well. There's been so many areas of our lives. Proverbs is this incredibly practical book. And hopefully one of the things that you've noticed if you've been around this summer is that one of the ways that Proverbs shows us what wisdom looks like is by contrasting wisdom with foolishness. It contrasts wisdom with foolishness. See, over and over and over in, in, in the book of Proverbs, the writers, they show us what the difference between the way of the wise and the way of the fool. And they urge us and, and they plead with us to pursue wisdom. You see, Wisdom isn't something you walk into. Wisdom isn't something that happens by accident. You, you don't just wake up one morning as a wise person. You don't just watch one sermon become wise. You don't, just, you don't just wake up one day and start reflecting the image and the character of God perfectly. No, wisdom is something that we have to choose to pursue and it's a critical choice. Proverbs talks about it not just as an important choice, but as like the choice. More than that, Proverbs tells us about the urgency of the choice that we have to either pursue wisdom or to pursue folly. And so as we close our study in Proverbs this morning, what I want to see is that Proverbs tells us you have to choose. 
We have to make a choice. We're either going to make a choice to pursue wisdom and to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness, or we're going to pursue sin and folly. There's only two options, and we have to make a choice. It's choices before every one of us, but as well, it's a choice that is both incredibly urgent and incredibly important. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into our passage this morning and see what Proverbs has to teach us. God, we are so grateful for you, but most of all, God, we're grateful for your word, which shows us you, which reveals you to us. And so, God, as we study this morning, God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit so that what I have to say and what I teach comes from you. God, I pray that you would give us all moldable, teachable hearts so that we might hear your word and we might respond rightly to it. God, we just come, we say we're dependent on you. God, I, I don't have the power to teach on my own. God, we don't have the power to listen and respond and to, and to change on our own. God, we say we need you to do that in us. And so we ask humbly, God, would you be the one at work in our hearts this morning? God, help us to put ourselves under the authority of your word so that we might align our lives with your purposes and your wisdom and become wise like you. In your good name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we are in Proverbs chapter 9, one of the few sections in Proverbs that we're going to read as a whole chunk here. So we are in Proverbs chapter 9 this morning. begins this way. Wisdom has built her house. She's set up her seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point in the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the ways of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker, they invite insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. For folly, she is an unruly woman. She is simple, and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the... And uh, and she, she sits at the door of a house on a seat at the highest point of the city, and she calls out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realms of the dead. Have you ever been in, invited to two parties at the same time? They're both happening the exact same time. You can't do both. You have to pick. I'm not talking about like the high school graduation circuit where you got like 35 parties and you like cram some cake in your face as you wave hello on the way to the next one, right? I'm also not talking about like the, oh, I have a work picnic I could go to or one with my friends. No, two parties you, you actually want to go to. Maybe it's two weddings that you want to go to, and they're on the same day. You, you cannot pick. You can't do both. You have to pick. So how do you decide, right? Well, maybe who else is going to be there? Maybe that's part of your decision. Or maybe just who do you plain like better? Maybe it's about who you're trying to impress or who you're not trying to impress. Maybe it's about who you're trying to be close to or who you are trying to avoid. 
Maybe it's about which party is going to have better food or, or better things to drink. Maybe it's about which one's going to cost you more. Maybe one party you can get away with bringing a bag of Doritos, and the other one you gotta, you're going to have to pony up and actually bring something good, right? Whatever the case is, it can be hard to make that choice. Like, which one are we going to? I want to go to both, but I have to pick. In our passage this morning, Proverbs presents the choice of pursuing wisdom or pursuing folly like the choice between two parties that we've been invited to. One is thrown by Lady Wisdom and the other by Lady Folly. And in order to guide us as we make our decision about which party we're going to go to, Proverbs 9 compares and contrasts three things about these parties. One, it it compares and contrasts what each party offers. Two, it, it compares and contrasts the cost, what it costs to attend each party. And lastly, it compares and contrasts where each party leaves you at the end of the night. So first, what each party offers. At first glance, the two parties, they look pretty similar. You'll notice the passage is broken down into three chunks. Verses 1 through 6 are about Lady Wisdom's party. Verses uh, 13 through 18 are about Lady Folly's party. In the middle, you have this, this chunk which feels kind of disconnected, but it's really about the essence of who chooses which party. In verse 4 and in verse 16, we see that Lady Wisdom and Lady Fall, they're both extending the invitation to the same people. Verse 4 and verse 16 says, let all who are simple come to my house. They're both extending the same invitation. The parties, they're not pretentious. They are not exclusive. They are open to everyone. But the ones who have yet to decide which party they are going to are the simple. In Proverbs, the simple or the, the young, sometimes that word is used, are referred to those who, people just who simply lack wisdom. And some of that lack is because you just need training. You just, you just don't know. But another reason that Proverbs makes clear to us why the simple lack knowledge and wisdom is because they refuse to commit to anything. One commentator uh, noted this. He said, the simple love being open to any opinion but committed to none. They love being uncommitted and because they are that they are gullible and easily misled. So Proverbs is telling us, you have a choice. There is a choice in front of you. You have to make a choice. You can't put it off any longer. You need to decide. There's two parties you're being offered to come to, two parties you've been invited to. What we see in verses 3 and 14 is that both of these invitations, they come from the same place. They say both wisdom and folly, they're calling out from the highest place of the city. They're both calling out from the same spot to come to their parties. You notice that they're, they're both calling out from the, the high place in the city. The highest place in the city, is, it's, a, it's a term that's refer, used to refer to honor or dignity. It's, a, it's about prominence or about legitimacy. It's like, it's like getting, you know, like when you get like a text message invitation to something or you get like the fancy card for a wedding. It's got like 17 leaflets in there, right? You're like, ooh, this is a nice invitation. Like, yeah, this party's going to be pretty good, right? You, you always know, like, when you're going to a wedding, when it's going to be really good food, when the invitation is, like, 17 inches thick in your mailbox, right? Like, you spent that much on invitations. The food's going to be amazing at this wedding, right? And so what, what Proverbs is saying is they're both, they're both sending really good invitations. They're both sending them out from, a, from the best place, the highest part of the city. And what it connotates is that the invitations, they're good. They're pretty good invitations, You see, both Lady Wisdom and Lady Follow, they're calling out from the same spot. They are actively inviting people, and they both promise a really great party. They both promise a really desirable feast. One commentator writes this, the point of this, 
The point of the writing about their similarity is that folly and sin, they call out in similar ways to wisdom precisely because they aim to deceive. So careful attention and discernment is required if the two are going to be distinguished. You see, both parties are not the same. They, look, they might look the same on the outside, but they are wildly different. You see, their invitations, they look similar, but when you take a closer look, each of the parties, each of the hosts' offering are altogether different. Verses 1 and 2, they tell us that Lady Wisdom has built a spacious house for her guests to enjoy, and that she has actively prepared a feast at her own expense, she's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's set her table. You see, the picture here is Lady Wisdom. She has done all of the work. The party is ready. All that is left is to enjoy what she has made. It's a great party. All that's left is to come and enjoy the feast. In contrast, Lady Folly says she just sits at the door of her house. She hasn't worked hard. She's just simple. She knows nothing. She's just sitting there at the door of her house. And verse 17 tells us that the food and the drink that she offers, it's not, it's not meat and wine, it's really just bread and water. It's totally inferior to the meat and the wine that Lady Wisdom has prepared, but what's more is that Proverbs, verse 17 says, it's not even hers. She stole it from somebody else. So she didn't even work hard to prepare it, it's just stolen. See, Lady's Folly's party is a lie. It offers one thing, but it delivers something different. In college, I remember being on a road trip with some of my buddies. We saw this huge flashing sign for this place. I think it was in Kentucky or something called Boomtown. When you are with your college buddies on a road trip and you see a flashing sign for Boomtown, you stop. Because Boomtown sounds awesome, right? Unfortunately, Boomtown was more like Pew Pew Isle. And it was like really wildly unsatisfying and underwhelming. I was like picturing like this massive fireworks superstore sprawled out. It was like an aisle that was mostly picked over and there was like a couple of firecrackers left. It was sad. It was, it was like really, really lame. You see, that's how sin and folly, they always work. They have the flashing sign that says this is going to be incredible. But it's really not. They, they really don't deliver on its promises. You see, sin offers something it cannot give. Folly offers something it cannot give. Sin offers life and satisfaction and pleasure, but it just gives a cheap knockoff that breaks on the first day. You see, ladies, Lady Folly, her party will satisfy for a little while. It's like that sketchy pair of sunglasses that has the Ray-Ban logo on them. You know those aren't Ray-Bans. <laughs> they might last you a day but it's not going to last much longer than that. It's a fake, and it always breaks. It always leaves you longing for the real thing. Lady Folly, she says, stolen water is sweet, secret bread is pleasant, but it always leaves you wanting more. It leaves you wanting the real thing. It leaves you wanting something better. You see, when you look at the two parties, what you see is that what they offer is very different. They don't really compare. One is the real deal, and one is just a cheap knockoff. But what the parties offer isn't the only thing that's different between them. Each of the parties, they, they cost something different to attend. Lady Wisdom, she calls out to the simple. She says in verse 4, Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. To him who lacks sense, come eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Verse 6 says this, leave your simple ways and live. 
Walk in the way of insight. You see, the invitation that Lazy Wisdoms is offering invites all to come as you are, but not to stay that way. Verse 6, leave your simple ways. You see, if you want to go to Lady Wisdom's party, you've got to acknowledge your simpleness. We've got to acknowledge your lack of wisdom. See, Lady Wisdom, she's the one who's going to shoot straight with you. You're simple. You need to change. You see, if we want to go to Lady Wisdom's party, we've got to be like the people in verses 8 and 9 who are willing to receive correction and to receive instruction. Verse 8 says, rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Verse 9 says, instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. That's contrast with the fool and the mocker who when you instruct them or rebuke them, they just insult you back or they just mock you back. They don't want to listen. Verse Verse 8 and 9 instructs us if we want to be wise, if we want to attend the party of Lady Wisdom that she offers, we need to be able to receive correction. One pastor I listened to this week, he said it this way, the simpleton seeks companions who agree with them. The simpleton seeks companions who agree with them, but the wise person will seek companions who agree with Christ and who challenge lovingly for them to change. So my question to you, are you cultivating relationships with wise people or are you just trying to build relationships with people who approve of what you already do? If your friends are not challenging, if your friends never challenge you to grow in godliness, there's either one of two issues. One, you don't have friends who are pointing you towards Jesus and that needs to change. Or two, you have made it clear that you have no intentions of listening to the wise words of your friends. And in both of those cases, there is an invitation towards humility. To surround yourself with wise friends is one thing, but to surround yourselves and make yourself available to the teaching of the wise is another altogether. I remember in college, one of my, um, when I started dating my, my, uh, my girlfriend, who at the time would become my wife, I remember I came to my roommates at the time and I said, hey, here's some of the, the guidelines that, that uh, we've set up. We just want to honor the Lord in our relationship. And I just told them, I said, here's, here's what our guidelines are. If you guys ever see something in our relationship that concerns you, or if you, if you see something in our lives that, that you have questions about, I want you to bring it up with me. Because I want to honor the Lord and I need your, I need your help in that. And I said, this is the, what we set up. But if you feel like there's just something that God's putting on your heart, like I want you to bring that to me. And there was multiple times that my friends graciously brought stuff up in my heart and in my life in light of that. And the reason that they, they did is because I asked them to. I said, hey, I want you to speak into my life. See, the, the, the simple, they never do that. The simple never ask for the input of wise people in their lives. But if we're going to be wise, we need to ask for the wisdom of others. We need to make it known that we want to hear it, make it known that we want to receive it. And that doesn't mean that you just ask for feedback from your life from every person on the street. But it does mean that you make yourself like approachable to those who you see as wise. You ask them for wisdom. You see, because the instruction to the wise is don't waste your time on mockers. Don't waste your time on people who, who won't listen. And so if you never have wise people speaking into your life, it's either because you don't have wise people around you or because you've, you've not been clear that you want the wise to speak into your life. You see, in either of those cases, to, to seek wisdom, to seek wise friends, to seek the correction to grow, it requires a humility. And verse 10 shows us where that humility comes from. 
Verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning of understanding. You see, we have trouble understanding what that means, what the fear of the Lord really means, because there's not a good English equivalent to that Hebrew word fear. When we hear word fear, what we think about is being scared of something, but that's, that's not really what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about fear. It's not talking about being scared of something. That's not the whole picture. Rather, in Hebrew, the word for fear, it has overtones of awe and reverence and humble submission. You see, wisdom begins with God. He is the author and the source of wisdom. The world works the way it does because God designed it that way. And so if we're going to be wise, if we're going to live in the reality of the world that God has created, we've got to submit to his reality. We've got to see things as he sees them. We've got to acknowledge that we are not God, that we are not the ones who set things up, that we don't actually know best. You see, wisdom, it requires a humility that comes from submitting to the one who is wise. It's a willing submission to the one who is wiser than us. It's a willing submission to the Lord. You see, Lady Wisdom, her party, it will cost you your pride. Lady Wisdom, her party will cost you your pride. To become wise, you've got to admit that you are a fool who needs help. And sadly, for many, what keeps us from wisdom is not that we don't know where to find it, but that we're unwilling to humble ourselves and to acknowledge our need. We're unwilling to submit ourselves to God. We either think we know better or we doubt that his ways and his wisdom will really bring the life that we want. And that's the very definition of what Proverbs describes as the fool. You see, while the simple are characterized by being ignorant and uncommitted, the fool is characterized as someone who thinks that they are already wise. Fools think they're already wise. They are confident in their own opinions. They think they have things all figured out and that they don't need to learn. You see, a fool sees the cost of Lady Wisdom's party and, and they say that's far too high. The cost of their pride is far too high. But what verse 18 shows is that what they don't realize is that while Lady Wisdom's party will cost them their pride, Lady Folly's party will cost you your life. Verse 18, little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. And this brings us to the last thing that Proverbs contrasts about these two parties. See, at the end of the night, one of the parties, it leads to life and blessing. And the other one leads to death. See, Lady Wisdom's guests are rewarded with choice wine and meats, with, with life and with blessing. Verse 11 says, for, for through wisdom your days will be many and your years will be added to your life. Verse 12, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. In contrast, Lady Folly's guests suffer the consequences of their poor choice. They get the root of awakening when they find out not only was the party a lie, but they're actually deep in the realm of the dead. You see, throughout Proverbs, Solomon and the writers of Proverbs, they have this tone of urgency. They have a tone of, of importance. They have this tone of pleading. They're pleading with the listener, choose wisdom. Because what's at stake is not just a bad party. What's at stake is our very lives. You see, sin and folly, they seem good. They seem appealing, but they're lies. They always lead to death, to physical death, to spiritual death, and to eternal death. 
But wisdom, it leads to life, an abundant life, both now and forever. You see, the stakes are incredibly high. They're eternal level kinds of stakes. You see, what Proverbs is saying is that the simple, they wander through life not knowing what is at stake. Or hoping there's nothing at stake. And so God graciously gives us the book of Proverbs to show us the choice that is in front of us. And to show us what is at stake. But here's the good news. Because God does not just give us the book of Proverbs to make us wise. God gives us himself so that we would be wise. You ever wonder why wisdom is personified throughout so much throughout the book of Proverbs? Over and over and over, wisdom is personified. Why? Because wisdom is not an idea. Wisdom is not an idea. Wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus is the ultimate personification of the wisdom of God. Luke 2, 40 and 52 tells us that as a child, Jesus was filled with wisdom. Matthew 13, 54 tells us that crowds marveled at his wisdom. Solomon was the Israel's wisest king, the, the wisest man in all of history. At Matthew 12, 42, Jesus says of himself, one greater than Solomon is here. The apostle Paul agrees in 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30, when he says, Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians, he says, in him, all wisdom is hidden. You see, Jesus is the ultimate personification of wisdom. Jesus chose the path of wisdom, and he did it perfectly. And what we see at the cross is that the wisdom of God, suffering and dying for simpletons and fools and mockers like you and like me. You see, Jesus paid the cost for our foolishness so that we would be made wise for salvation, so that his wisdom, his skillfully lived godly life would be credited to us you see, Lady Wisdom, it says at her own expense that she offered an abundant feast for the simple so that they would become wise. Oh, you need to see this. Jesus, at his own expense, prepared the ultimate feast for you and I so that we would be made wise. And it was himself. You see, that's what we remember and that's what we celebrate at communion. In our, in our need and in our inadequacy and in our pride and in our foolishness, Jesus, the word of God, the wisdom of God came to make us wise so that we would be wise for salvation. You see, the bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. As in wisdom, he skillfully lived the light that we did not, that we should have, but we didn't. And the drink, it reminds us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us. It looked like foolishness as he died the death that our foolish rebellion deserved. And as we take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering him. We're remembering the feast that he laid out at his own expense. The feast that he prepared for us. We're proclaiming the gospel to ourselves and to one another. That it was Christ crucified that might seem like foolishness is actually the wisdom of God. That sets us free from the slavery to sin and enables us to choose righteousness and to choose wisdom. See, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It does not save you. Only faith alone in the person and the work of Jesus can do that. Every church does communion a little bit differently. At River City, there's two tables in the back, and during our time of worship, you can go as you feel led and dip the bread in the juice and take communion that way. 
And as you do, I just invite you to prayerfully think. Some of you, you've never chosen to humbly submit yourself to God and to his wisdom. And Proverbs 9 is here this morning calling out, saying there is a choice that must be made. You can choose wisdom and righteousness, or you can choose sin and folly. There's only two choices. You cannot do both. You must pick. But for many of us, we've made the choice to, to, to acknowledge our foolishness and to come to Jesus for the wise salvation he offers. But we need to be reminded of this morning is that wisdom isn't just a choice. It's also a path that we walk on. It's not just a door you walk through. It's a path you learn to walk on every day. You see, you don't just wake up one day and find out you are totally wise. No, every day you wake up with the choice. Will you choose wisdom today? Will you walk in the wisdom that has been given to you today? Or will you choose sin and folly? Every day we choose wisdom, and we choose wisdom with faith and repentance. You see, we repent of our sin, and we ask God for his strength to live wisely, and we come to God continuing to acknowledge our sin and our folly, and we are able to do that. We are free to do that, because in the gospel, what God says is that I am not impressed with you, I am impressed with Jesus, and his standing is one who is totally wise on your behalf. And so we are free to come to God with our foolishness. We are free to come to him with our sin and our folly, to acknowledge it, to lay it bare before him. Because God is not impressed or deterred by what we do. He is impressed enough with Jesus and what he has done for you. So that frees you to come to him, to admit your sin and to acknowledge it before him. But it frees you to come to him because he is the source of power that you need to live wisely. You cannot do it without him. He is the one who has made you wise, and he is the one who empowers the wisdom that you choose every day. You see, the essence of wisdom is not that you, that you never do foolish things anymore. <laughs> but the essence of wisdom is that you realize increasingly the older you get how foolish you really are. Uh, the older I get, the more foolish I realize I am. The same was true of the Apostle Paul. If you read his letters in chronological order, what you see is over time he thinks less and less and less of himself. He calls himself the, the, the least of all the apostles, then the least of all the saints, and then the least of all sinners. Why? Because increasingly ongoingly, as Paul sees the magnitude of who Jesus is and all that he's done, he sees the magnitude of his own sin and his own need for the gospel. And it's met. For the Apostle Paul, it is met in God's grace. And so what happens is the more Paul sees how much he needs Jesus, the more he sees how greatly Jesus has met his need. You see, if we're going to choose wisdom every day, we've got to see through the seductive lies of Lady Folly. But rejecting Lady Folly is not going to be enough. We need to see the surpassing beauty of Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 9 is calling out. Lady Wisdom, she is beautiful. Her party is altogether better. It offers what you are really looking for. It satisfies, it leads to life, and it leads to blessing. If we don't see how beautiful wisdom is, if we don't see how beautiful Jesus is, how beautiful life lived according to his ways, according to his order, according to his plans, then the allure of sin will always be too strong. 
Oh, but when we see the life that godly wisdom offers, when we see the one who was wise, who gave himself so that we would be wise, we see how beautiful he is. All would be willing to pay any cost. We'll be willing to lay down our pride so that we might be wise in him. We're willing to humble ourselves so that the one who was wise, his wisdom might be credited to us. And so as we sing and as we worship this morning, as we take communion, as we celebrate the gospel together, my invitation to you is submit yourself to him, humble yourself before him in fear and in worship. Ask God to put within you a desire for wisdom. Ask him to give you eyes to see the, the deceptive invitation of Lady Folly. Ask him to give you eyes to see the good invitation that Lady Wisdom sets before you. But more than that, ask him to empower you to choose wisdom every day it's not enough to know which party is better you have to ask him to empower you to choose ask him to help you see the beauty of lady wisdom the beauty of the person and the work of jesus so that you won't be fooled by the deceptive lies of sin and as you take communion this morning thank god thank him for his word think most of all thank him for jesus who came so that you could be made wise and enjoy the blessings of wisdom for your good, for your joy, but more than anything, so that his glory might be known in this generation and throughout every one. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we say thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that makes us wise. Thank you for you, Jesus, who have come so that we might know your word and might know you and become wise. Jesus, we just come this morning and we just say we are simple and we are fools. God, help us to admit that. Help us to acknowledge that before you God, so that we might become wise. We say, Jesus, we need you. We need you to make us wise. We can't just become wise on our own. There is no amount of trying harder or doing better that will, that will do it. God, we need you to give us new hearts so that we can pursue wisdom. We say we need you, Jesus. So we ask, God, that you might fill us with your spirit so that we might choose wisdom every day. God, we need you. Thanks that you came so that we would be made wise. Thanks that you are our wisdom credited to us. We love you, Jesus. Thank that you have loved us first. In your good name we pray. Amen.